Welcome to the teaching and preaching ministry of Second Baptist Church, where we exist to delight in God, display His grace, and declare His gospel all through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be reached at www.secondbaptist-mtv.com or by calling 618-244-1706. We trust you'll be encouraged and challenged by the message you're about to hear. Church, let me invite you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. That's right, I said Hebrews. We are stepping out of our study of Galatians that we've been in, and we're looking this morning at the book of Hebrews chapter 10. The reason is because there are some things here that have been heavy on my heart and mind in recent days, and I think that we need to be reminded of again and again. Because the Christian life isn't simply about learning new things. Do you know that? No, more often than not, it's actually about being regularly reminded of things that we already know. Things that are good, things that are true, things that are beautiful, things that are for our joy, things that oftentimes we forget. And the reason I say that is because in this passage this morning, I'm sure that nothing of what I'm about to say to you here is perhaps new to you. In fact, perhaps maybe many of you already know this, you've heard it before, but the reality is, is that most of us don't need something new. No, what we need is to be reminded again and again of what we already know to be true. Sadly, it is often those things in our lives that are the most routine, that are the most commonplace, the most normal, that often breed the most complacency. Would you agree? I'm willing to bet that the things that are most common in your life are often the things that you most regularly take for granted. And so I want our time this morning then to serve as a reminder of things that we already know to be true and yet things that we often forget. And namely, I have in mind here this morning what we are doing right now. What I have in mind this morning is the corporate public, weekly gathering of the church. The coming together of the body of Second Baptist in times of corporate worship, the things that we seek to do even in our small groups ministry, I'm talking about our weekly gatherings. That's what I have in mind here this morning. It's no secret that the weekly gathering of the church has fallen on hard times these days. I don't know if you saw the recent Gallup poll released just a few weeks ago, stating that for the first time in over 80 years or so, attendance among houses of worship, among churches, has dropped below 50% in America. Now, what's significant about that isn't how low that number is, but the speed at which it has dropped. From 68% of Americans about 20 years ago to now 
47% today. So that's about a 21% drop in the last 20 years. That's huge. Not only that, the numbers are actually worse than they appear because according to this study, it says that Generation X, so those of you born between 1965 and 1980, are becoming less affiliated with the church and attending less frequently than the baby boomers before them, those born between 1946 and 1964. And then millennials, that's me, 1981 to 1996 are less affiliated than Gen X. And then, of course, you have Gen Z, those born between 1997 and 2015, who are now looking to be even less affiliated than them all. So, in other words, the article says that with each new passing generation, less and less and less and less people are regularly attending church. And then, of course, you take into account everything the church has experienced just within this last year as a result of the pandemic. Churches shut down, suspending public gatherings for a season. Many concern now about political overreach, threats to religious liberty, and yet, though many churches have now resumed meeting, there are still many, and I'm not talking about those with serious health concerns, there are still many who are not and have not returned or aren't attending the regular gathering. Many are simply out of the habit of regular attendance or they are attending, but less frequently than they did before the pandemic. Maybe they're attending three weeks a month, now they're attending only two weeks a month. Or even some, some are perhaps even questioning because of online services and live streaming and downloadable sermons and podcasts of your favorite preacher. They're questioning the need for the corporate gathering at all. Why, why should I even attend a Sunday service when I can just sit at home on my couch and watch and listen? Can I worship God wherever I am? Why do I need to attend a gathering at all? So it's no secret we are church living in a day and age in which church attendance is seen as less and less significant, less and less important because it just seems so mundane, it seems so unimportant and unnecessary and irrelevant. I mean, why even gather at all? And so this morning, I want this passage to remind us afresh of why it is we gather. To remind us of something good and beautiful and true something that perhaps we've forgotten. Now, before we read the text, let me just make a few disclaimers. Number one, number one, church attendance is not the gospel. Church attendance doesn't make you a Christian. You can show up Sunday after Sunday, you can sit in a pew, and that saves absolutely nobody. No, you could attend 53 weeks a year and still be headed for hell. Religious activity doesn't save you. It doesn't make you right with God. So church attendance isn't required in order for you to be a Christian. It's not Jesus plus church attendance. No, it's Christ alone. But at the same time, let me also say to you this morning that 
the New Testament knows nothing of Christians who aren't faithfully, actively, meaningfully involved in a local church either. I tried to sum it up and total it up because there's somewhere around 58 one another commands in the New Testament. Commands for the New Testament Christian for how to live and love and serve and interact with one another. And almost all of them are spoken in the context of a local church. And thus I would venture to say that you cannot live the Christian life apart from meaningful involvement in and commitment to a local church. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, okay then, we know that. I mean, we're here. We're attending, right, Pastor? You're preaching to the choir. Here's the second disclaimer. You can be regularly attending a church and still not obey this passage in a way it's intended. Meaning, it is possible for you to attend every week and still fail to obey the commands that are found in this passage. Your presence here, your body in a seat, isn't enough. And so I, I think this text, it will be a good reminder for each of us this morning of why it is we gather. Let's read it together. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. Would you stand as we read this passage together? The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true, a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. You can be seated this morning. Well, I think it's important to see here, here in verses 19 to 25 the context of this text. What, what's, what's the context of this passage? And I think that there are actually two very important clues in these verses that show us the context of this passage, that show us why the author of Hebrews writes these verses. And, and really, they're bookends here. The first clue is found there, notice in verse 19, and the second clue is found down in verse 25. Clue number one, notice, is found there in verse 19. It's the first word, actually, of our text where he says, therefore, therefore, brothers, so Verse 19, it, it marks now a new section. It marks a transition in this letter where the author here, he is summarizing, he is concluding much of what he has just said. Therefore, he says, since then, or in light of these things. So what he's doing here, notice, is he is directing our 
attention and our minds back to truths that he has just been unpacking now for the last 10 chapters. Weighty theological truths. That Jesus is the better priest. He's the better Moses. He's the better sacrifice. He's the better temple. He offers a better covenant. And oh, what glorious truths they are as we'll see. So this section then is, is much more practical in nature. In fact, it's one long sustained exhortation. Our, our text this morning is actually one sentence in the original language. It's really a summary statement here. That's clue number one. Clue number two, though, notice, is in verse 25. Apparently, there are some who have habitually neglected meeting together. So apparently there are some, even perhaps many, within this church who were neglecting the corporate gathering. They, they weren't attending. They, they were making a habitual practice of not meeting. They weren't making the gathering of the church a priority in their lives. So notice, this isn't just a 21st century problem. This was a 1st century problem. Now why? Perhaps it's the result of laziness. Perhaps it's the result of apathy. Perhaps it's the result of misordered priorities. But more likely, it's the result of persecution. In fact, this letter, the letter of Hebrews, is written to a group of Jewish converts being tempted to go back to Judaism. They are being tempted to apostatize. They are being tempted to abandon Christ and to abandon the gospel. And they are, in effect, they're drifting because of persecution. One commentator writes, this letter is written to a group of first century Christians who are in danger of giving up. Giving up. They're facing rejection, they're facing hostility from family members, from their Jewish communities. They are being ostracized for their faith and so it's leading some of them to drift away. It's leading some of them to stop gathering with the local church, with the people of God. In fact, notice down just a few verses later in chapter 10, verse 32. The author says, chapter 10, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partner with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your properties. So they're facing mistreatment, they're facing Suffering, they're facing imprisonment, they're facing the loss of possessions, all for their faith. So they are, they are suffering for the cause of Christ and they're being tempted to walk away from it all. They're not gathering with the people of God. And so it isn't hard then to see, it isn't hard to imagine why in this church they're being tempted to forego their weekly gatherings. Neglecting meeting together. And so the author, he wants to exhort them not to neglect it. How? How does, he, how does he do this? Well, notice first, in verses 19 to 21, he motivates them by summarizing the result of Christ's ministry and work as our great high priest. 
because of what Jesus has done and accomplished by His death and resurrection. And then, in verses 22 to 25, in light of these glorious truths, in light of these glorious realities, He gives them three exhortations. Three commands for why they must continue to gather corporately. Command number one in verse 22. Command number two in verse 23. Command number three in verse 24. And notice the reason here is not because that's just what Christians do. No. It's because, beloved, our gatherings, what we are doing here right now as we meet together, what we seek to do in our small group's ministries is a really, really, really big deal. It has eternal implications for your life. It's loaded with meaning and significance and and, and purpose. And it is a vitally essential means of grace in your life, Christian. It's huge. Notice these three exhortations. For why we gather under three headings. Number one, we gather corporately to draw near. Verse 22. Second, we gather corporately to hold fast. Verse 23. And the third, we gather corporately to consider one another. Verse 24 and 25. So three easy exhortations. Look at it. Let's look at them together. Number one, we gather corporately to draw near. Verse 22, notice that first exhortation. Let us draw near. Now that is a staggering command. So we must ask the question now, okay, draw near to what? What are we to draw near to? Well, this command is one of the author's favorites in this letter. In fact, he uses that phrase there, draw near, seven times in the letter of Hebrews. Just notice, if you will, a few of them with me. Look there in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace. Chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Chapter 11, in verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him for whoever would draw near to God. So notice, we draw near to the throne of grace. We draw near to God. Over and over, we are told in this letter, draw near. Now, think about that with me for a moment, okay? I mean, consider this for a moment. The author of Hebrews is telling and commanding sinners to draw near to a holy God. That's a death sentence, right? Remember at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, the people there are commanded not to come near. They are commanded not even to touch the mountain. Why? Because they're sinners and God is holy. In fact, listen to how the author of Hebrews describes that scene in Exodus chapter 19 in Mount Sinai. Look later, chapter 12, verse 18, what he says. Chapter 12, verse 18. 
the scene at Sinai, he says, a blazing fire and darkness, gloom, a tempest, the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. Verse 20, if even a beast touched the mountain, it was to be stoned. God is holy. Verse 21, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. Friend, it is a serious, awful, terrifying thing for sinful men to draw near to God. And yet, verse 22, draw near. Come on. Come on in. In fact, not only draw near, but look there, verse 22. Do so, he says, with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Meaning, Christian, you can approach God, you can draw near to God publicly and You can do it boldly, you can do it confidently, you can do it joyfully, you can draw near with assurance and confidence. You have free, unhindered access to God. Now, how is that possible? And in verses 19 to 21, notice he gives two reasons why. Two reasons for how it's possible for sinners to draw near to God. Notice it's two sense clauses. In verse 19 and in verse 21. Here's why you can draw near. Reason number one, look there. We can draw near because we have been granted access into God's presence by the blood of Jesus. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. We can enter into the holy places. Another translation says the most holy place. Another says the sanctuary. This, of course, is an allusion here to the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Later in in the temple, it was the place, if you remember, on earth where The presence of God would dwell among His people. But the author here, he is using that imagery here to speak of the access that we now have into the very presence of God in heaven. The heavenly sanctuary. Now think about that. That language there, that would be absolutely staggering for a Jew, wouldn't it? Why? Well, because... Everyone knew you don't get direct access to God. No, in fact, the the entire design of the temple and the tabernacle was to illustrate that truth, right? No, no, you must go through a temple, you must go through courts, you must go through a priest, you must go through a curtain separating the most holy place, which only the high priest had access to once a year, On the Day of Atonement, offering sacrifices for sin, symbolizing the separation between man and God. No, access was limited. Access was restricted. It was denied. You can't draw near. 
Now, beloved, because of the work of Jesus, because of the cross, we have access into the very presence of God. The blood of Jesus was shed so that your sins could be forgiven, so that the holiness of God would not consume you, so that you can now freely enter into God's very presence. Verse 20, look there. There is now a new and living way. Verse 20, by the new and living way that He, Jesus, opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. Meaning, this curtain there in the temple separated God and man. And the writer of Hebrews, he is saying that now, because of Christ, because of what He has done, that way has now been opened for you. Verse 20, He has opened the curtain by His death now into the very presence of God. In fact, if you remember in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, that at the very moment which Jesus was crucified, the curtain in the temple was literally torn into. It was torn apart from top to bottom. Because listen, that was simply a physical sign pointing to a spiritual reality. And what it says is that Christ has now, by His death, by His blood, He says, and by His resurrection from the dead, that's the new and living way, He has now opened for us a way to approach and draw near to God. And the reason that we can do this, the reason that all of this was made possible, notice that since clause number 2, verse 21, the second reason is because He is our great high priest. Look there, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus. He is now our great high priest. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. You see, all of the Old Testament priests were lacking, they were insufficient. But not Jesus. No. Notice in chapter 7, verse 25, He always lives to make intercession for us. Christian, He is interceding for you right now in heaven and forever. Chapter 7, verse 27, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. You see, their work was never done. It was never completed. He has no need to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. Why? Because he had none. And then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. So not only is Jesus the perfect high priest, he is also the perfect sacrifice as well. And he's offered up himself. And when his sacrifice had been made, chapter 10 Notice verse 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Meaning His work was done. It was finished. It was completed. And now, by His death, by His resurrection, by His ascension back to the right hand of God, look at chapter 10 verse 14. By a single offering, He has perfected. Perfected for all 
time those who are being sanctified. He has atoned for sins once and for all. For all time. Pardoned. Forgiven. Cleansed. It's finished. The work is done. You are perfected and thus you are granted now full access into the very presence of God. Which means that right now by faith in Christ, you can enter into the presence of God and you don't have to move a muscle. You don't have to go anywhere. No, you can enter boldly. You always have access. Morning and night. Good days, bad days. No matter how you feel. No matter if you read your Bible. No matter if you yelled at your kids. Unhindered access all the time. And therefore, draw near. Now, at this point, you're wondering, okay, what does that have to do with the corporate gathering of the church? And I'm really glad you asked. Because, let me stress that while every Christian can draw near to God at any time, any place, you always have unhindered access into His presence. However, notice that verse 22 is stressing our corporate access. The corporateness of this access. Look, or in verse 25, our meeting together. So it's our drawing near as a church. Verse 22, let us draw near corporately. Verse 19, therefore brothers, plural. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us. Verse 21, we've got a great priest over the house of God. What's that? That's the church. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, with our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, church, we as a people corporately, collectively, we have the distinct and unique privilege of gathering in God's presence together. In fact, everything about this passage has a corporate dimension, has a corporate focus to it. So why do we gather? We gather in order to encounter God corporately. That's what we're doing when we gather here together on a Sunday morning. And might I add, we gather to encounter God in a way that we cannot do otherwise when we're apart. So yes, every single Christian is an individual temple of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You and I have the privilege, Christian, as individuals to enter into the presence of God anytime outside of this assembly. But, the point I want to stress here is that God has so uniquely designed our church gatherings in such a way that He is especially, and He is uniquely, and He is distinctly present among us when we gather together. Is that your experience? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it like this. He says, in Christ, the whole structure, the church, 
is being joined together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the church. In Him we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit, corporately. The presence of God when we gather. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, we are like living stones that are being built together into a spiritual house. So not only are we the temple of God as individuals, we were together being joined brick by brick into God's dwelling place. So there, there is an encounter, an encounter with the living God that is available to us as we gather as a church that is unique. That God manifests his presence in a different way to the living stones of this temple when they're gathered together than he does when we're apart. Don Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life, he says this about corporate worship. He says, God will manifest his presence to you in congregational worship in ways you can never know, even in the most glorious secret worship. That is because, he says, you are not only a temple of God as an individual, but the Bible also says, and far more often, that Christians collectively are God's temple, and there are experiences with God that can be known only when you worship in that spiritual house. Oh my. So why do we gather? It's to encounter and experience His presence that is not available to us otherwise. Did you ever view corporate worship that way? Which means our Sunday gatherings are extraordinary. There's nothing ordinary about what's happening here. It may seem mundane. It may seem routine. It may seem familiar, but it is mind-blowing. It is absolutely mind-blowing, which means you should expect it and you should prioritize it. How would our gatherings be different if we came weekly anticipating to enter in and encounter the very presence of God? Dads in the room, let me ask you. Do you see the importance of the Sunday gathering for your family? Is it a priority to you? Do you see as it a vitally essential part of your Christian life to experience the presence of God? But it's not the only way we gather. Second, we gather corporately also to hold fast. To hold fast. Look there, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So we gather corporately in order, notice, to hold fast. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Meaning that one of the reasons we attend the corporate gathering of the church is not only because by it we encounter the presence of the living God, but also because by it God actually causes and enables you to hold fast, to persevere in grace, 
to endure in faith. I told you that the author's original audience here is being tempted to fall away. They are, they are drifting from Christ. But listen, this is all of us. None of us in this room, none of us drift towards God. None of us drift towards holiness, drift towards godliness and truth. No, we actually drift away. And therefore, God has so designed his church, he has so designed our corporate gatherings to function as a means of grace in your life, Christian, to keep you in the faith. Verse 23, notice that second command. Let us hold fast. In other words, let us hold on tightly. Let us keep a firm grip, not letting go. In fact, Three times now in this letter, he's told us this, to hold fast in chapter 3, twice there, and in chapter 4, and now here in chapter 10, hold fast, okay? Hold fast to what? Look there, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. What's that? It's the truths of the faith. It's the truths of the gospel. It's, the, it's that central confession of Christ, our hope in life and death, the work of Jesus explained in this letter, our hope in the promises of God, because notice verse 23, he who promised is faithful. So we hold fast to the hope that God is going to keep his promises. And our hope is the sure promise of eternal life for those who persevere in faith to the very end. Because listen, friend, it is only those who persevere to the end, who will inherit these promises, who will inherit this hope. Those who hold fast. In fact, the letter of Hebrews has a lot to say about persevering to the end. What we might call the perseverance of the saints. Remember, this, this is a letter to Christians in danger of falling away. Chapter 3, verse 13. Look there. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceptive. Sin's, sin blinds us. It hardens us. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Beloved, do not think too highly of yourself that you cannot drift away. So let's be clear. If you don't persevere to the end in faith, if you fall away, you won't be saved. Matthew chapter 12 or 24, verse 13, Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The Bible is absolutely clear. If you don't endure, you won't be saved. Now, I'm sure that raises a whole host of questions in your mind. Okay. So, is God the one who causes me to endure or do I endure? 
What's the answer? Yes, it's both. It's both. In John chapter 8, for example, verse 31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you remain, if you abide, that's my persevering. But then just a couple chapters later, John 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them from my hand. So God, it's his preserving us. It's him causing us in grace to persevere to the end. So we hold fast to God only because he holds fast to us. Now again, you may be asking, okay, what does that have to do with church attendance? What does that have to do with the regular corporate gathering of the church? Well, only this. Notice in verse 23, notice again the context of this command. It's within the gathered church. Meaning that Sunday after Sunday, hear this, this gathering, it is a means by which God causes you, Christian, to endure and to hold fast to the very end. That God has not only ordained the end, He's not only ordained who will be saved, but He's also ordained the means to the end of keeping you saved. And one of those means is this gathering. Right here. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is huge. This is no small thing. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. Eternity at stake. What we do here together. Do you view the Sunday gathering that way? So now how does this gathering cause me to hold fast? Let me just mention a couple of ways. There are many. Let me just mention a couple. Number one, we hold fast together by remembering and rehearsing the gospel. When we come together, what we're doing is we are weekly reminding one another of the gospel. Why? Because we so often forget it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Brian Chapel says this. He says, corporate worship is nothing more and nothing less than a representation of the gospel. So we gather to represent. We gather to remind one another as we turn one another's eyes to Jesus. Remembering, rehearsing. Second, we hold fast together by receiving the faith strengthening Word of God. Now this may sound a bit self-serving, but the preaching event is the most important event of your week. I don't care what's on your schedule or your calendar. This is the most important event in your week. Do you realize that? Because this is God Himself addressing us speaking to us. The Spirit of God working through the preaching of the Word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the, the heart. So the Word of God has power 
bringing conviction, bringing warning, bringing strength, bringing exhortation, bringing transformation. All of that's happening just in this room. And you can say, well, pastor, can I just listen then from home? Online? Isn't that the, isn't that the same thing? I would commend to you what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about the corporate preaching event. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, as long as you can sit at home and listen to a sermon on the radio, why take the trouble of getting your car out of the garage and struggling with traffic and many other inconveniences? Broadcasting, I fear, has discouraged people from coming to the house of God and taught them bad habits. But even more so serious is the harm that it has done to the people's idea of the corporate life of the church. Far too often they think of church as just a place where you sit and listen to a sermon. And now you can get this on the radio or tapes. We don't have tapes. We'll say podcasts. So the whole notion of coming together and sitting together around the word and listening to God speak is seriously damaged. Beloved, there, there is something supernatural. There is something unique that happens when we gather around the Word. There are 10,000 things that God by His Spirit is doing in this room to hold you fast, to keep you in the faith. Here's another way we hold fast together. By exhorting one another in this hope. I know that there are many of us, you, you come in this room every week, you come in here weak, you come in here suffering, you come in here doubting, you come in here troubled, you come in here lacking faith because of some situation, some circumstance, some event, some trial in your life. And what we need most in that moment is for a brother or sister to put their arm around us and say, hold fast. Don't give up. Keep hoping. Let me remind you of some of these. Let me remind you of the promises of God. So, he's graciously designed our gathering to function as a means of grace in one another's life to keep us in the faith and to cause us to persevere Beloved, do you see this as a kindness of God in your life? That, that this gathering, it's, it's not optional, it's essential. Do you need it? Which leads to the final command, the final exhortation. Look there, third. We gather corporately to consider one another. Verses 24 and 25. Notice again here those one another's. Look there, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So notice, notice the corporate focus here of this command. And we see that this weekly gathering, it's no passive event. You don't just come to spectate. You don't just gather to sit and soak. 
Now remember at the beginning, I said that your presence here on a Sunday morning is really, it's only partial obedience to verse 25. Only partial. Because you can obey the part that says, let us not neglect to meet together. I mean, because you can be here every week and yet fail to obey the very reason for why we meet. So why are we meeting? Well, notice what the reason is. And notice, it isn't just attendance. No. It's for one another. We gather for one another. So there is an other's focus. There is an outward awareness that we are to have as we gather corporately. Let's just ask a few questions here of this text. Number one, what's the main command here in verses 24 and 25? What's the main imperative? What's the main verb? It isn't stir up. It's not neglect. It's not encourage. No, the main verb in verse 24, consider. Consider. In other words, think about. In other words, look closely. The only, the only other time, by the way, the author of Hebrews uses that verb is when he says, consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. He's saying, look, look, look closely, examine, study carefully. Okay, consider what? Well, question number two, what are we to consider? Look at verse 24. Let us consider what? One another. That's the direct object. One another. We are to consider one another. Did did you realize that our corporate gatherings are a time for you to people watch? Do you like people watching? I like people watching. He's calling us to people watch. In fact, you are commanded to, Christian. So yes, we come together to encounter God. We come together to draw near. We come together to have our own faith strengthened. But do you ever come here on a Sunday morning in our gatherings in order to study one another? To think about one another? Is is that on your mind each and every week as we gather together here? Well, what are we to consider about one another? Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. There it is. Stir up one another. One translation says to stimulate one another. Another says to spur on one another. In other words, one of the reasons that we gather is in order that we may consider how to provoke a certain response in each other's lives. We're to stir up. Now, what image comes to mind when you think of that word stir up? What conjures up what image in your mind? Here's what comes to mind, because I, I, don't think, I don't think the author has in mind here stir up like a, like a blender. Right? That's, that's just chaotic. It's messy. It's just so, sort of disordered and out of sorts. No, there, there's plenty of people like that in the church, stirring up. Okay. No, I think what the author has in mind here is more, not like, not like a blender, but like a fireplace billow. You know what a fireplace billow does? Meaning that one of the purposes 
for our gatherings is to stir up and fan one another into flame. That's why we come together. So what are we to stir up? What are we to fan into flame? Well, look there again, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So what are we to stir up? We're to stir up one another to love and to good works. We're to stir up one another's love for God. We're to stir up one another's love for each other. We're to stir up one another to serve each other in good works so that we would catch fire and then it might spread throughout this church in acts of love and acts of service and evidences of faith everywhere in this congregation. So, church, are you giving thought to that? Of, of how and ways in which you can stimulate one another's faith. Who is there who needs their faith to be stirred to be encouraged, to be exhorted. And so we study each other carefully. Why? Because we're all different. And I know what Brian needs is maybe different than what you need, Nikita, and what you need. And so we're, we're studying each other because I want to stir up love and good works in you. Strengthen you with a word. Who do you know that needs that? Church, are you giving regular and careful attention and thought to that? But notice, the author also tells us how we are and are not to do this. Look at verse 25. First, how we're not. We stir up one another by not neglecting to meet together. Sounds pretty simple. Listen, you, you can't do this. You cannot stir up the faith of others if you're not here. When we gather. And, and it goes both ways. Meaning, you can't stir up others and you yourself can't be stirred up. And so you suffer and the church suffers. So are you asking? Who's not here? Where are they? Do you know? Are they drifting? And before you think this is no big deal, Be reminded that not to gather is to drift, and to drift is deadly. So this is not how we do it. How do we do it? Look at verse 25. We stir up one another by encouraging one another. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So we gather to encourage one another Now, how so? How, how does my being here encourage others? Well, first, just being together is encouraging. <laughs> I mean, it is encouraging to one another's faith just to be together. I hope if this pandemic has taught you anything, it's taught you that. But second, it also provides us the opportunities to speak encouraging words to each other. 
to encourage one another's faith, which implies that we have relationships with each other, close, meaningful relationships with each other. This is what we want to happen in our Sunday gatherings. This is, this is why we think it's essential that every member of this church be involved in a small group where this is happening. So why do we gather? We gather to draw near. We gather to encourage and stir up and to strengthen and to help us persevere. That's why we gather. I told you three reasons. Let me give you one more. There's a bonus. Verse 25 and we'll be done. But encourage one another all the more, meaning it should be happening more and more regularly. Why? As you see the day drawing near. Now, what day is that? Well, it's not Sunday. No, it's the day, capital D. It's the day of the Lord. It's the day of Jesus' return. And notice then how this whole passage is bracketed. In verse 19, we're looking backward to the cross. But in verse 25, now we're looking forward to his coming. And notice here that there is a sense of urgency, isn't there? He is coming. Jesus is returning. He is drawing near. And so the urgency for our gathering is because of the nearness of his coming. The urgency of our gathering is because of the nearness of his coming. Did you think about that this week as you came this morning into this door? How does the return of Christ motivate your church attendance because he's returning, beloved, and judgment is coming. And when he comes, we need to be ready and we need to be alert and we need to be reminded that time is short and to spur each other on to endure and our gatherings help us be mindful of that. But I think also, the author reminds us of that because when he returns, there is another gathering that's going to take place. Right? There is another gathering that will happen. It will be his bride from every tribe and nation and every tongue into his presence. And so this Sunday morning gathering is an anticipation of that glorious gathering that's coming. Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. That's the great gathering that's coming. And that's what we're doing here every single Sunday. We are anticipating that day. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that we can draw near through the blood of Jesus. The new and living way that he's opened now by his death. We trust you were encouraged by the message you heard. For more information about our church, visit us online at www.secondbaptist-mtv.com or call us at 618-244-1706. And thank you for listening.